On You Don't Know Dick, we, with the help of friends and special guests, look at the film and television career of actor Dick Miller. On this episode, we're checking out the Beatles-themed rock and roll comedy and Robert Zemeckis' feature debut, I Wanna Hold Your Hand, from 1978. Welcome to You Don't Know Dick, the career of actor Dick Miller. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is the lovable lad from Liverpool, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Don't say I'm from Liverpool, Doug. That's not... I don't want Why? That. What's wrong with our... There are our friends across the... Bowl, across the bond. Liam, across the bond is our friends. Are you, are you prepared for me to do that accent for the no, next hour? No, I'm not prepared for that. <laughs> I'm very much not prepared for that. Liam, we're going to be talking. This is, episode is basically Beatles, Beatles, Beatles mm-hmm. from the beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into your thoughts on the Beatles in just a little bit. But certainly you must have some interest in England, in going to England and spending time. I mean, they're basically your cousins over there. Okay, first of all, <laughs> yes. <laughs> my my family is too Irish Catholic for you to be suggesting that they're my cousins. Mm-hmm. That does not float with the O'Donnells, <laughs> all right? But uh, you know, I have this thing with England where I like a lot of media and culture from England. But the vibe of Americans who are obsessed with England, you know, there's a certain kind of dude who like one day just watches soccer all the time and starts. Liam, buying... I'm kind of an Anglophile. I it's well, here's the thing. <laughs> it's a little more forgivable with Canada. I feel like Canada, it's a little more like, OK, I guess that's. But the sort I'm of from Newfoundland, Liam. That's what I'm saying. Well, but it's, but it's still Canada. Canadians, <laughs> can be a, Canadians can be a little more OK with England, I think. And I'm not saying that Americans should be hostile, but the dude who's like, oh, I like a few British things, so now that's my whole fucking personality, and they start like using mm. slang that's not theirs, and they know facts about different football firms, and they fucking uh, start buying like British casual wear. It just becomes a thing, and it can so quickly become annoying that I just think it's it's fine to like some British. There's some great British bands, movies, comedians. There's amazing stuff. But when you become obsessed with England, I can't. That's It's not cool, man. I'm not into it. Liam, that's all brown bread to me. And my trouble and strife in the other room I fucking hate you so <laughs> told much. me to go up the apples and pears uh, to my lorry. I'll take the <laughs> lift to my flat. <laughs> Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> I'm going to learn Gaelic just so I can say it on this show and annoy you. Look, don't make me use my Newfoundland accent. Our guest today is an editor, writer, and director. His film, Relax, I'm from the Future, starring Reese Darby, Gabrielle Graham, and Julian Richings is currently in cinemas. It's Luke Higginston. How are you doing today, Luke? I'm good. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. Luke, it's so good to have you. And I'm not just saying that. Sometimes I just say that, but not this time. I've been wanting to do sure. this for a very long time. You have a feature film, which is so exciting to me. And I'm going to start our little discussion here with a little flashback to a a fine day back in 2013 when my wife and I were attending the Toronto International Film Festival. And I went into one of their uh, short showcases and I saw a short film called Relax, I'm from the Future. And I loved it. And I ran home, except I, I, didn't, I don't live in Toronto. So it took me a couple of days. And I got on Twitter, and I, find the, I found the person who directed it. And I followed him, and I was like, I got to see what this guy is all about. And that person, Luke, 
was you. You were the director of it that short me. film. It was you. And and it, it, we, mm-hmm. we became fast friends and chums, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> yeah. And now here we are a short decade later. And mm-hmm. you, I mean, I'm not suggesting that you have not been doing a lot of work in between those two things. But now your short film is a feature film that's in the cinemas that people are seeing. How exciting is that for you? It's crazy. It's really, really fucking cool. I, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's wild. I, I yeah, long road. Uh, uh, takes a long time to get films made. Uh, get, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it's been really, really exciting. It's been Luke. Uh, how much of, credit uh, should I take for your success? Do you think? <laughs> I would say somewhere between eighty and ninety percent. I did a good, solid ten percent of it, but like <laughs> the rest, the rest is you. I mean, I was watching the movie earlier, and I did go through the credits. I couldn't find my name in any of the special thanks mm. at the end. What's that all about? I mean, you should take that credit. You should know in your heart that you did it, but I'm not giving it to you. I'm not right. taking it all. Uh, yeah, credit yeah. Is, is, is earned, uh, as the saying goes. Mm-hmm. Luke, uh, <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about this transition from it being a short to it being a feature? How soon after completing the the short, which obviously got a lot of positive attention, was there an idea to turn mm-hmm. that into a feature film? Um, honestly, only after people liked the short. Like mm-hmm. it, the short itself was just sort of a, a one off, sort of one joke idea that I I shot for out of pocket money with some friends that I thought. It was a funny idea for a time traveler to be unprepared and not really have a plan <laughs> and just sort of talk to people who are about to die. Um, and yeah, I mean, in uh, this world, uh, anyone who reacts positively to a piece of art that you make is such like water in the desert uh, that uh, when people liked it and saw it and asked me uh, if I was expanding it, uh, I was like, oh, I guess I should probably expand this, huh? And um <laughs> I struggled for a while for for a, a little bit after that with sort of what that would look like. And uh, fortunately, I had a number of uh, uh, existential crises and uh, <laughs> breakdowns over in the, the next few years. And I sort of channeled all my sort of fears and anxieties about the future and where we're headed as a society uh, into uh, a silly comedy script. And that was actually very therapeutic for me. Uh, and it took it took a couple of years to sort of figure out what that was, but that was very much the the guiding principle of it was sort of try to laugh at some of my own uh, fears and anxieties uh, uh, over the next uh, few years. Yeah. Did the pandemic help you or fuck you when it kind of came to trying to get this movie together? Uh, fucked me. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was by then it was all written, and we were sort of trying to get it made and and uh uh it would have been okay if it had ended the first time we all sort of thought it was gonna end sure Mm -hmm. uh but uh because we started filming in that window where it looked like the first time it was all dying down and then the omicron wave happened while we were shooting um so uh i'm very proud of the fact that like like we took it very seriously on set everyone was masked and distanced and i'm very proud that no one got sick there were literally other productions shooting at the same time as us that got shut down like three times over the course of our very short shoot um and uh literally we didn't have a rap party because of that like because it was so intense at the time so like literally the shooting ended and we were all just sort of like standing distance from each other on the street outside and we're like well bye 
nice working with you. It was sort of this weird anti-climax to like the most exciting thing in my life. It was this weird, yeah, it was, it was a strange, uh, strange situation, but, um, uh, yeah, uh, it was definitely harder because of it for sure. The timing is kind of interesting because that anxiety that the movie has at its core, it's a very funny movie, but the anxiety of the future at that core has only ramped up since the pandemic. Oh yeah. And, uh, also, your lead, Reese Darby, his profile has just increased since you start. You stopped filming. I know this movie; they took a while mm-hmm. to 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 actually, you know, for it to get into theaters. What, what was that process like? Where you're waiting, where you have a completed film, you know, you're waiting for it to, that that kind of machine to start revving up and for people to actually be able to see it. Was that anxiety ridden for you? Yes, I mean, in terms of Reese's profile, like that is that was a huge stroke of luck that we had like when um we basically got him for this tiny window after he had finished shooting the first season of our flag means death uh but no one had seen it yet Mm. and he just he had finished shooting this thing where he was like the lead of a show for the first time and he's amazing on that show and i think his his sort of energy was really up and he had a little window of time uh, before having to go home to see his family for Christmas. And yeah, came up to Hamilton for 18 days and uh, uh, yeah, made, made a little movie with us. Like we, I, I think shortly before or shortly after he wouldn't have been available. So like that was one of the real incredible strokes of luck we had. I mean, it makes it such an easy sell to people, yeah. who, especially because, I mean, in our circle, especially, and, and I know in Liam's as well, you know, Our Flag Means Death is, it's, it, it's the, the show that everyone is talking about even still. The second mm-hmm. season just uh, just finished up. It's just, you know, and he's terrific in the movie and he's terrific on that show. And he really, you know, he carries, I mean, he carries the movie. Yeah. One of the other people, and this is a very self-serving question, <laughs> is that you have Julian Richings in this mm-hmm. movie, um, who is maybe the, even though, you know, not originally from Canada, is maybe the most Canadian actor in my brain who <laughs> yeah. still exists right now. It just, you know, it's one of those, uh, because of his very distinctive face, I think, when I think of his career, I think of him from the Canadian Heritage moments, I think of Cube, I think mm-hmm. of... Um, uh, Hardcore Logo. Hardcore Logo. Yeah. I think of, yeah, like our, our yeah, it's like, like there's just so much... He really is kind of legendary, but also, uh, you know, outside of maybe the the uh, uh, the borders of this country, people may have seen him, but they don't know just how identifiable he is within this country. What was he like to work with? Oh, like literally the sweetest man in the world. He is incredible. I uh, and literally we got him because I uh, I recorded a video of myself begging him to be in it. Like I, I sort of <laughs> was just sort of like, hi Julian, I've been in the same room as you a couple of times, but you've, we've never officially met. Uh, uh, please be in my movie. And uh, we we had a Zoom, and he was just yet yeah, unbelievably nice, so engaged, so generous, like so interested in delving into the character. Like it, it just an absolute dream to work with. Uh, he's he's the greatest. Uh, and it's funny, uh, just you mentioning what he's sort of known for. Uh, it's yeah, like Hardcore Logo is a huge film for me. Uh, uh, Cube, obviously, like 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 I I have this sort of whole image of him as this sort of like cool indie film guy, um, and obviously he's been in a bunch of blockbusters too and stuff. But uh, we did a couple of events together post uh, the film coming out, and it's amazing how much I don't watch the show Supernatural, uh, uh, and. Mm-hmm. 
but uh people sure do and they know him from that show like it is crazy how intense his fans supernatural fans are like it's that's that was a real real eye-opener for me uh yeah it was interesting the, t the time it worked out with him a little bit too because he got a lot of publicity for anything for jackson which just came out a couple of mm. years ago mm. as well i mean so you know within the circle of the kind of people who might be interested in a smaller film i think his face was a little bit more recognizable mm -hmm. i mean it's just I, there's just so much about this movie that i i love and i hope that anyone uh who has an opportunity to see it in theaters are able to do so but i'm also this is a movie that i think people are really going to respond to when they when it's just available to everyone and i could talk it up all day, but we're not here, believe it wait, or not. Wait, I didn't get to ask any questions. <laughs> I, I'm going to transition now to asking, letting Liam ask some of his uh, burning questions. Sorry, Liam, you're right. Let, let's hear what you have to say. This better be good, by the way. What was it like working with Pup? Oh, yeah. Uh, awesome. They're the best. Uh, I uh, cool. That was another uh, huge, huge like win that I didn't expect. I, I always assumed like the band was written into the... Uh, script, but I sort of always assumed, especially because we kind of shit talk the band in the script, that like <laughs> yeah. it would be a fake band. Like I know a lot of musicians, so I was assuming that I would sort of make up a fake band of some musician of friends course. of mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, through I, I, we, I've, we had a couple of connections to Pup. My uh, my friend Chandler Levac uh, directed their video for Guilt Trip and a couple of their other videos, and. Um, my producer, James Vanderwerd, went to university with the bass player, uh, Nestor. But like, so we like reached out on a, on a lark, basically. We're like, maybe? And again, we just sort of lucked out that like, because of COVID, they hadn't been touring and they like Reese Darby. And so like, I think the concept of being able to play a show for some people and have Reese Darby dancing to their music in front of them was a... a worth it for them and we offered <laughs> we offered to have them be playing a fictional band uh to like because of the fact that we or let's like do they know that we you know we kind of make fun of them and say that they suck later um and uh they were like no it's way funnier if it's us like like <laughs> absolutely 100 so yeah when 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 they actually showed up playing, I was like, oh, no, that's oh, OK. And then he talks shit later. I was like, oh, man, this is great. Like, yeah. it, it, <laughs> again, it was it, it and it makes them seem more cool, not just that they're connected to this very good movie, which I very <laughs> much enjoyed, but also that they were willing to do it. That they're yeah. Like, yeah, we're going to do this and it's going to be funny that we did this. I think that's really great. And it does add a little bit of like authenticity to it. You oh, know, for it's sure. Real band or whatever like i think that's pretty cool so anyways. yeah absolutely and there's a lot of uh I'm, I'm very proud of the the toronto punk soundtrack all the all the songs in it are, are from toronto punk bands either that i like played with in my unsuccessful band coming up in the 2000s or that i like went to see shows of a bunch and it's it's uh that that's an aspect of the movie i'm very pleased with uh, how important was it for you luke for it to be a canadian movie i mean it, you know the, the fact that it takes place in you know ontario and and that that the canadianness is sort of in the background it's not kind of front and center it's not mm -hmm. like a scott pilgrim or something like that but it is something that's kind of always there is that how you always design it that it was that people could you know view it as taking place in all sorts of of locations but you know you could for people who are from this uh, this part of the country they know exactly where this is taking place yes very much so i it, it was that was an important element of the film for me i i i i like Canada playing itself. I like Toronto playing itself. And I also dislike 
the the self-conscious sticking in Canada and Toronto signifiers just to do like I, I do you know how many Canadian films have poutine jokes in them? It's a lot. It's a I lot know it, man. I know. It makes me cringe every time. And um, but yeah, so I really didn't want to do that, but I also really didn't want to hide the fact that like it's like this is a this takes place in in Ontario. This takes place here. Yeah. Didn't want to do yoga hosers for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, Liam, any other questions uh, that you'd like to ask? That was a good one. I have to admit, I got to give you credit on that one, Liam. I mean, you know, I only interrupted because I was hoping you were going to hit it, and when you didn't, I'm like, well, I got to ask that. I got to ask that one. But otherwise, no, you did a good job, Doug. I support yeah. you. No, Liam really I picked up your slack you that, on that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this Somebody is this podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, we are here today to talk about, uh, sort of, Dick Miller, the actor. I, I approached you a while back about mm -hmm. uh, what film you'd like to talk about. And knowing that a lot of the heavy hitters have already been covered, you picked a great one, which was Robert Zemeckis' mm. first film, I Want to Hold Your Hand. What do you know about Dick Miller? Are there any roles that you associate with him? I I have to admit, I, I'm... Before this podcast, I sort of was only a Dick Miller fan through osmosis. Like, I don't think I put the sure. dots together. He was very much a that guy for me. Like, uh, but, you know, uh, Gremlins is probably the thing I most associate him with. But uh, he's great. He's cool. Like, I've I've always liked him when he shows up. And that was the thing when you when you sent me. The filmography when you when i looked up his imdb i was just like that is insane how many movies he's been in it's crazy uh yeah and like for yeah. example when i saw this movie the first time i definitely did not put together that that was him uh but now i like him even more <laughs> i like it, it could be a little easy to miss him in this particular movie even mm -hmm. though he's playing a very dick miller role but that then begs the question why this movie why did you want to, us to watch i want to hold your hand i have to assume it's because you're a huge beatles fan <laughs> uh it's not uh, although i do like them i i grew i grew up i grew up with the beatles they were they were uh they were the band that basically the only band that my mom and dad both liked and so we listened to them a lot as a kid they're good music for for kids i uh so like i so associate them with my childhood that they're not a like much of a going concern band for me i never like put sure. them on Right. But, they uh, broke up a while ago. I don't know if you heard about that. What? Oh, that's too bad. They had a lot of good <laughs> albums left. But they got a new well, song. They got, they a, got new a new banger, song, huh? so, so, yeah. so you don't have to feel too sad. <laughs> new Beatles and New Stones this year. Culture is alive and well. Yeah, totally. But it does make it a little timely. Timely yes. in terms of us talking about a Beatles-centered movie. And also, you know, it's always timely to talk about the career of Robert Zemeckis. Actually, mm -hmm. before we do that, you didn't answer my question. Why no. did you pick this movie for us? Uh, yeah, uh, because I did uh, sort of trying to tie it a little to my movie uh, as a as a craven uh, 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 marketer, I guess. Uh, no, but I uh, really looked at a lot of the early Zemeckis films uh, leading up to making Relax. I, I really think his run from I Want to Hold Your Hand up to Death Becomes Her is incredible like i really really love that string mm -hmm. of movies and i think they have he captured specifically i think he was really really good at having this kind of kineticism uh to his comedy like they all really move i think and they all have like kind of weird rough edges 
and they're all like very goofy and yet kind of grounded. Uh, and I don't know. I just really, really like that run of films. And I think not a lot of people have been able to capture that tone. And um, it's, uh, yeah, I really, I like, I like all of those movies. So I, I wanted to pick one of those. It's interesting to think that he became known as like the technology guy. Yeah. And he started out as being one of the, like a writing guy, right? Him and mm-hmm. Bob Gale were that writing team. And they're, they're, those scripts are so tight for his yeah. earlier movies, like used cars and, yeah. and of course, Back to the Future. Yeah. And which is, I mean, I'm going to ask you first if you have a favorite Robert Zemeckis film, but because I'm I've, I'm haven't heard Liam's voice for a while, I'm actually going to turn to him first. Mm-hmm. Liam, what are your thoughts on Robert Zemeckis as a director? Hmm. Well, <laughs> you know, well, I, I, you know, this era of comedy. Oh, right, you hate the late '70s because that's when you came into existence. <laughs> yeah, basically. How 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 dare this be when I was born? I will never forgive the 70s for my life. No, I mean, I I guess I don't just want to limit this to the 70s per se, but I do feel like there's a style of comedy that was popular at this time that continued to be popular later on that's like not really the, the kind of like screwballness of it all kind of mm. gets on my nerves a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, I know that's so funny to you. You're like, ah, oh, come on. But it's just true. Like, uh, I will say, I do like used cars. I, I honestly, mm-hmm. this is one of those things showing how ignorant I am. Didn't know he directed used cars. So that's against me. Uh, but by the time we get to like Back to the Future, that's like such a high concept thing that even though there are jokes in that movie that now as an adult I kind of don't care about, um, the combination of like a weird time traveling plot with some of that humor i think when i saw it really worked for me and it really like you know it really clicked for me so if i think about that then it's like oh yeah you know he's great i love him blah blah blah. but if i look at the rest of the well but you know what you know what doug (laughs) i was about to say i don't really care about the rest of these movies but i gotta be honest you love forrest gump you can just say it. (laughs) no i loved death becomes her yeah when i was when i was 13 yeah. and that movie came out I was obsessed with Death Becomes Her and I don't know why and I haven't rewatched it as an adult so I probably should go back and see if I love it still or if I hate it but when I was you know uh, a junior higher and that movie came out I was like this is fucking great now why I don't know uh, I don't like Forrest Gump I'm sorry to say no of uh, course. I mean I think look the world has turned on Forrest Gump which is perfectly <laughs> fine you know it's funny I saw Death Becomes Her when I was like 12, 13, 14 as well and I didn't like it and and now I love it, but I didn't like it back then because I think it felt too adult for me. Mm. Like it was just like it was a little more refined than I was expecting. I thought it was going to be this. I didn't think it was going to be like this Tales from the Crypt esque thing, yeah. which again I think initially it was going to be a Tales from the Crypt movie even, but it was mm-hmm. just not what I kind of expected at that time. I've learned to really love it and appreciate it. Back to our guest. Well, it's kind Robert of Robert Zemeckis, the fishy. Oh, please. Sorry, I was just going to say. I mean, it's kind of about disappointment that you don't really understand until you've become an adult, right? Like it's sort of about, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. About yeah, that's faded dreams and like, 
your life not turning out the way you thought it would. So like, yeah, I think I like it. I loved it as a kid, but I actually think I like it even better now. Yeah, that movie rules. Also has maybe the the greatest Bruce Willis performance in it mm. as well. He is absolutely amazing in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke, your favorite Zemeckis? Is it from that period that 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 killer period with your Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the Back it to the is. Future sequels? It is. Uh, I it's it's got to be Roger Rabbit for me. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is, I think, just an mm-hmm. unbelievable mm-hmm. film, and I think it's telling that like no other film that does the same kind of thing that it does succeeds even remotely as well. Like it's just such a magic trick, that movie. It's incredible that it works uh, at all. And it's, I I think it's amazing. And also uh, uh, Christopher Lloyd in that movie was like, the nightmare that I saw in the dark for like a good five years of my life, like with his, the swords coming out of his eyes and his voice going all squeaky, like that's unbelievable. That's burned, yeah, yeah. burned into my soul as a, uh, uh, yeah. So that, that it's got to be that movie. But Back to the Future Two is really important to me as well. That movie is incredible. Ooh, a Back to the Future Two. Two, interesting. Yeah, it's better. I also, yeah, I loved, I love to, uh, I, I, I've really learned to love the. Th- third as well but i mm. really love to all that futuristic stuff was for me as a kid i was like my you, the, uh, my eyes were sparkling watching it i remember mm. the red vhs tape when it came out mm. i was so excited i was like my brother's like all, all like gathering around the, 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 the <laughs> video store to, to yeah no it was it was a it was a big moment for mm. uh, for me i do have to ask you though luke and we're not yeah. trying to be negative on this show we're not negative people sure there's a kind of a reputation for Robert Zemeckis that he's kind of fallen off over the past mm-hmm. 20 years or so. <laughs> but certainly over the last decade, it, there's some ups and downs. I know a lot of people like The Walk and some people mm. some people like Welcome to Marwin, I guess. But what do you uh. think about that? Has it, In <laughs> your I? eyes, has he... Uh... <laughs> no. <laughs> Not one person, actually. <laughs> but what's up? What's up with Zemeckis? He used to be so consistent. We didn't even mention Romancing the Stone, which yeah. I like very much as it's well. good. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's I, I have to be honest. I have not watched his two thousands, his foray into that godless CG stuff in the two thousands broke my heart so much that, that I just I, I I jumped off the train. I don't think I've seen any of his films since twenty ten. Oh boy. Uh, uh, but that whole and he kind of stopped. I guess Marwin is some of that stuff, but like it's really that that those that two thousands run is like all of that like unwatchable nightmare fuel stuff. Uh so maybe his newer stuff is is good. I don't know. I it it, it could be like he's made more good movies no. than most directors have. Like uh Oh yeah, right. Like, and we're not we don't we're not, we yeah. are we are, we are not here to condemn Robert Zemeckis. We're here to praise him, but I heard that Pinocchio movie is fucking garbage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I mean here's the thing. For me, not only do I not like Forrest Gump, I don't even really like Castaway. Like mm. I, I remember in 2000 when it was like a hype movie and everybody was so excited about it. Honestly, this is this could get this probably will get me crucified by someone. Nice, let's hear it. Uh, I enjoyed. I actually enjoyed What Lies Beneath more than Castaway, which yeah, came out the okay, same year. Yeah. I think it's a stronger movie. And then everything from Castaway till today, I think, is bad. Like I, mm. I, I there's a one or two things I didn't bother to sit all the way through. So. Um, allied, I didn't see, so I can't really talk to that. Oh, don't go through them one by one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, but but otherwise, I have watched most of this stuff, and it's bad. And even Beowulf, I think, is real bad. Ooh, yeah. And you know, I just, yeah, it's 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 like he turns some sort of corner because again, I don't like Castaway. 
but a lot of people love Castaway, and you could at least say it like makes sense to people. Like it's a sh- it's strong for certain people, but then. You know, after Castaway, four years later, we get Polar Express. And everything yeah. post Polar Express yeah. is just like some sort of weird nightmare thing for me. And even the newer, more serious movies all just seem outside of what makes. I don't, I don't, the Walk? Come on. I, I just can't believe this. Because you're not on board. I want to say, since we're, we're, again, being a little negative, I think Contact is really good. As well. I, I was going to say, yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's it's not as much my taste the '90s stuff, but all of those movies in the '90s are like like post Death Becomes Her up to Castaway is like there's a reason they were Oscar players. Like he was he was gunning for Oscars and he made like very like well made films. Like those are good. And then yeah. it's like as you say, yeah. it's it's that it's that 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 CGI stuff he got obsessed with. I, I cannot watch it. Like it 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 hurts my brain and my eyes to watch it. Uh, but it's clearly a choice. Like it's clearly a thing he was interested in exploring. So more power to him. Like good, good, go for it. But I'm I was off the train. Those films, unfortunately, are by design have aged. Like they were, they were all, people were already when they first came out. We're talking about the Dead Eyes and the Uncanny Valley and whatnot. But mm-hmm. by the design of that era of CG, they've also aged terribly. Yeah. So it's really hard to even go back and appreciate them for the visuals, which at the time that they came out were state of the art. Speaking of state of the art, the movie today that we're going to be talking about is I Want to Hold Your Hand from 1978. It's about a group of young people, and they're all trying to see the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show making their American television debut. Uh, you've already told us, Luke, a little bit about your history with the Beatles, so let me turn to my co-host for a moment. Liam, people who are listeners of our various podcasts know that you're a music guy. You love music. You once fronted a very popular punk band. Um, uh, and uh, so I would guess that you are an enthusiast of uh, the those four fab uh, fellas from Liverpool, the Beatles. Doug, you are very silly because we've talked about this before <laughs> on this, the show. And not I, and, everyone listens to all of our podcasts. No in fact, one, I've and, seen the stats. Nobody. I know. Does. I know. I know. <laughs> and no one, no one crucified me for this, but it was on this very show that I suggested. Uh-huh. That being excited about the Beatles is like being excited about white bread. Like, it's good, but I don't know what you're so stoked about. Like, that's, that's, I just, for me, it is like when I think of most of the Beatles material, not all of it, but most of it, it feels like baseline rock and roll, which is fine. And I get why people like it, but I don't understand the deep connection people feel to it. It just doesn't connect with me like that. And so when someone wants to argue, like, well, of their generation, they're this, they're so creative and so important, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. I just don't give a fuck. Like, if, if we want to have a conversation of, like, well, uh, compared to the Rolling Stones, at least they're not, you know, rich boys pretending to be something they're not. Sure, okay, I, I'll get into that. That Throw, uh, Throwing a little dig in there at the Rolling Stones. That's like, <laughs> no, no, that's the dig that I hear. I've heard this. Let me let me clarify. I've heard this exact <laughs> argument between my mom and my stepdad because my mom loves the Stones and my stepdad prefers the Beatles. And one of his arguments is always, well, the Beatles were legitimately like normal people and the Stones were fakers. And like, okay, cool. I'm glad they're still having that, you know, argument into their 80s. But like, <laughs> other than that, I don't, none of it is interesting enough to me to be like, no, no, no. Actually, when they do this thing on the way now are there songs that are hits yeah anyone who says the beatles have no hits 
is just living in a so, dream. Sorry, what is what are you even saying right now? The Beatles had more hits than almost any group in history. Of course they no, had. No, no, no. I'm sorry. What what I mean is 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 tracks, Doug, like songs that are actually that are good, good songs. You mean? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're you know what I mean. Like I I'm not going to sit here and say oh they suck. When people just say they straight up suck. That's just someone who's trying to make you angry, yeah. right? There's no way to fully say they never wrote a good song. They wrote a lot of good songs, but enough that people should be still be as obsessed with them in 2023 as they were back then. No, get the fuck out of here, man. I don't care anymore. <laughs> Let's move on with our lives. Well, uh, I will counterpoint that slightly by saying that I'm a Beatlehead, Liam. I love the Beatles. Let, um, let, me, let me put it this way, Doug. They have more, I think, good tracks than a lot of bands. <laughs> but I would, but even though I hate Morrissey, I would take a full Smiths record over their whole collection. Well, then you should be enjoying the new David Fincher movie, uh, free to watch on Netflix. Why don't you enjoy uh, that? I, uh, I let's not discount that I pre prerequisite with, but I do hate Morrissey now, so I don't want to listen to the Smiths. I'm just saying when it comes to the quality of music. A Smith's record is it's that's front to back, man. Okay, that's well, we're not back. here to debate the quality of music. I'm just saying the Beatles are more than music. Oh, look, I'm going to go on a little rant here. Oh, the God, Beatles here are bigger than music. They're bigger than Jesus, of course. We all appreciate <laughs> um, But the thing that makes, I think, the Beatles so interesting, I love their music, but what makes them interesting is how in like a decade they did like a thousand iconic things. It's just one iconic thing after the other, and it became so iconic that it's just been parodied and mocked, and you can do things like make an entire late 70s comedy that doesn't even feature them really right that it's mm. just in the background of just this one iconic thing which had you know more viewers than almost any tv event in history which is them appearing on the ed sullivan show they're just kind of bigger than life and the fact that we're still like literally still talking to them about new songs and everything they do and even jokes about paul mccartney in popular short films that have been turned into feature-length films i just think it's all Really interesting. Luke, any final thoughts about the Beatles before we jump into your movie? Uh, I agree with everything you just said. Yeah, I, I think they are they're they're a, a fascinating cultural object. Like the it's what they did to the world is really interesting. That is, I think, what the movie is about, which is cool. Um yeah, no, I agreed. And yeah, they wrote a lot of good songs. They're good, they're good. Good man. <laughs> oh, are we boring you, Liam? Oh yeah, sorry about that. Liam, what's your favorite Beatles song? I don't know, Doug. I don't know that I care enough. What's your favorite Beatles album, Liam? Because I, you can't have a strong opinion without knowing what you're talking about. That's not something that happens in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> you know, it's, it's it's so the one I've the 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 one I've listened to the most mm -hmm. is the White Album, I guess, right? Sure. The, but that might just be because. It was more accessible. So the very <laughs> the very early stuff, it's it just I'd rather hear like garage rock. You know what I mean? Like it's very, it's very simple, and those songs are catchy, but I don't really care. And then the later stuff that gets a little more psychedelic is like something about that kind of bums me out, which is weird. Like I I, I know that's like a me thing and not a them thing, but I just don't really care about that. Maybe this is tied to my deep disdain for. Um, uh, anything that reminds me of uh, Led Zeppelin, but uh, I think that the the that I have. Well, you know what? I will say this too, Doug. Please, I, I like Abbey Road, but I don't think I just haven't spent as much time with it. And a lot of my Beatles like was just like it's always around. Like I guess this is the thing too when people say either they deeply love the Beatles <laughs> or deeply hate the Beatles. Don't you just absorb the Beatles like by like by osmosis, like just because it's everywhere, like. 
Doug, you like have purchased Beatles records, right? Like you like paid money for them. Yeah. That's yeah, psychotic to me. You don't have to buy them. They're just everywhere. You just literally would say, today I will hear the Beatles. Make no effort, and you will hear them that day. Like, it's just, they're Liam, so You know omnipresent. how there's those bands that you really like, and then it's, it, maybe they'll get some sort of level of popularity, and then someone will say, yeah, I'm a really big fan of them, and they can only name the, those tracks that were really big, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that that's what they're conscious of. The Beatles have deep cuts, man. They have lots of, of non-single tracks that are really that I really love. And you know, you can have your dig a pony or your okay, rain but, but or here's, something but like here, that. But no, but here's the thing, Doug. I don't know that people who are as into media as we are, right, and who were alive when terrestrial radio was a thing, <laughs> could claim that there are actually more than a record's worth of Beatles songs you haven't heard unintentionally. I don't believe that. I've watched <laughs> movies. And heard songs that were Beatles songs that I I had never heard on the radio, but I heard you know what I mean. Like <laughs> I was gonna say, ludicrous. Now let's talk about a movie that has thirteen Beatles songs. On exactly. The- <laughs> like like here's here's the, here's the thing. What I got a bunch of records for free once from someone, and there was a bunch Columbia of Beatles, House. a bunch of Beatles records in there. No, I mean actual vinyl. Yeah, yeah, I got you. And uh, I put on some of those records thinking I was gonna be fucking surprised. Like, oh, I can't wait to hear some of these Beatles songs I've never heard before. There were none, not at least on the records I got from, from this person, which isn't their full discography, but it was a big chunk. And I thought, well, I'm not going to go find more Beatles records. I've heard all the fucking songs just by being alive. I don't, I don't, I just, just it's not worth it to me. All right, Liam. Well, that's just your opinion. Not when let there's us... so many Kinks records out there I don't have yet. I, I mean, that's kinks. fair. Look, I'm not uh, Let us stop talking about this, A, because it's boring, and B, we have a guest <laughs> who just has to sit here and listen to this fucking garbage. Let us take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a classic comedy, 1978's I Want to Hold Your Hand. It's Sunday, February 9th, 1964. Thousands are mobbing the streets, praying for one glance. Oh, my God! One touch. I figured out a way to get into the Beatles Hotel. The chances are a million to one. But some of them just might make it. Rosie. Grace, Pam, Janice, Smoko, and Ringo Klaus. Listen, I know everything there is to know about the Beatles. There's nothing I don't know about the Beatles. They've got no money, no tickets, no driver's license, and no fear. I want to hold your hand. It's the song they were playing the night America fell in love. In 1964, six teenagers from New Jersey run off to see the Beatles perform on The Ed Sullivan Show in the hope of meeting their idols. However, they don't have tickets. Along the way, they learn new things about friendship and growing up. It's 1978's I Want to Hold Your Hand, directed by Robert Zemeckis, who we've now talked about at length, and written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, his normal writing partner of that time period, starring a cavalcade of familiar faces, including Nancy Allen, uh, Bobby DeCiso, uh, Mark McClure, Teresa Saldana, Wendy Jo Sperber, um... Susan Kendall Newman, the, the daughter of Paul Newman, is in here as well. And, of course, the Dees, Eddie Deason, who we will be talking about in just a little bit. <laughs> and, of course, we get an appearance from Dick Miller as Sergeant Bresner, one of <laughs> a series of police officer roles that he has done. <laughs> but we'll get to talk about that in just a little bit as well. Let's start with the basics. We have our guest here, Luke. 
What do you think? I'm guessing because you chose it that you're going to say some positive things. <laughs> what do you think about I Want to Hold Your Hand? Uh, yeah, I like it a lot. I think it's a good movie. Uh, it's uh, I, I think it's super underseen. It's like weirdly underseen considering how popular. Yeah, the I would Beatles agree with are. that. Even though it's in the Criterion Collection now. Right? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. I think uh, I think it moves really well. I think it's an interesting uh, way to do a movie about the Beatles. I think a couple of the performers. I think Wendy Jo Sperber is amazing in the movie. I think she's so funny. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a fun, enjoyable, good time. And I really like, I mentioned this earlier, like, I like how, like, sort of kinetic and madcap it is without being, like, I feel like the version of this movie made any time in the last 20 years would be Mm -hmm. so much worse and so much, like, sillier even though this movie is silly it's still like i i i believe all the characters and i uh i don't know i uh, i just think it's a it's a good little movie you're exactly you know i actually i wrote a message about this somewhere on social media which is after as i was watching it i was like even if robert zemeckis made this in the last 20 years mm. you'd have cg beetles running around <laughs> all over the fucking place right you just know that he packed and the fact that they are kind of backgrounded in this that it is just it could be about any mm-hmm. major cultural moment that all yeah. of these people want to be part of and that's what makes it so so interesting but it's also like you were saying this movie has drive and kineticism it's just mm-hmm. moving forward and it's all heading to this place and it has so many characters that it's trying to keep track of and they're all coming and converging in one spot it's what i really like about it um mm-hmm. do you remember the first time that you saw this movie luke it was recently it was literally uh uh when i was doing a big early zemeckis uh uh rewatch uh leading up to to making relax because i knew i wanted to i wanted to revisit uh the the back to the future films obviously and and uh roger rabbit and and romancing the stone i was like oh i've never seen and i had never seen used cars or um or or this one before, and so I, I checked them out, and I was like, "Yep, these are great. This is exactly the, this is so similar to what I'm trying to do in a lot of ways uh, that uh, it was uh, it was cool. I just really I I, I I consider them. I don't think anyone else does it like that, and I think that I also wanted yeah. to say that they all of his movies have crazy high concepts. Even this one is like. A bit of a high concept in the sense that the you don't see absolutely the band. Yeah, yeah yeah and like there's so many characters and there's so much going on but you're never confused watching any of his movies mm-hmm. like you you always understand what all the characters want what everyone is doing what's going on and that's really really hard to do and uh yeah, yeah. I, I think it really succeeds on that level Again, it's what I was saying before. You know, he, he one of the things that I love about those early Robert Zemeckis movies is how tight the writing is, and this mm. is a really good example of it. You can see why Spielberg was like he could see that this guy could be a high level filmmaker. Yeah, I was reading the IMDb trivia. I was just recently I've been going through all of uh, Brian De Palma's films, and he made a movie. His first studio movie was called Get to Know Your Rabbit, which a lot of people haven't seen. It was this huge bomb. He got kicked off of it. They took it away from him, and it was because of that that the studio in this case didn't want to give Robert Zemeckis the chance because they, they'd worked with Brian De Palma and it, mm. it completely flamed out on him. Brian De Palma almost killed <laughs> killed Robert Zemeckis' career completely by accident. <laughs> and then he ends up showing up on the set because he was Nancy Allen's boyfriend at the time that this movie was being made. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, just w- yeah, weird, wild stuff. Liam O'Donnell, 
Uh-huh. I can't remember if it was on the recording or not, but you were saying how much you hate lo- late seventies comedies because of the screwballness of the very things that Luke was just praising seem to be <laughs> the things that you dislike. What did you think of? I want to hold your hand. You know, I I didn't hate it, and oh, in fact, I found brave it kinda, I found it kind of charming. <laughs> well, I, I think I think me bringing up my issue with screwballness, which is let's not limit it to the late seventies. Screwball was a disease that probably started long before that and continued well, on through the years. Yes, 80s. certainly. When people think screwball comedies, they don't think of the late seventies. They're thinking of the nineteen forties. They're thinking Howard Hawks. What are you talking about, Liam? All I'm saying is the jokes in these things are usually not very funny. And <laughs> and that's just the reality. We've covered so many comedies that you're like, it's a classic. And I'm like, there's no jokes. Yeah, not- you guys <laughs> didn't like the naked gun. What what am I supposed to do with you? All right. I mean, what the hell, man? <laughs> I don't think I hated the. I thought you didn't hate it. You just it again. just didn't define your no, childhood we've, like we've, it did. We've, everyone we've covered I know. we've covered other movies that were way worse than Naked Gun. And in this case, it's the it's not that I think the humor is that much more successful here. Though there are some gags that really work for me. It's more like I find the characters kind of charming. There's like a. Yeah. Um, they're naive because they're not from the city and they don't really know how this kind of world of rock and roll works, but they have a bit more edge. Like usually when you see a bunch of kids driving in from the suburbs to go to the big city, they don't have any edge, but these are Jersey kids. So they, they got a little bit of a, a, you know, the guy drinking, hanging out of a car. I was like, Oh, okay. We're, 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 we're in a world that I understand. Okay. Mm-hmm. I see what's happening here. Uh, this makes sense to me. These kids are, yeah, they, they haven't seen the world yet, but you know, they beat up some of the kids that are in these other movies. And I, and I appreciate that. And I think that was kind of charming for me. I also like, you know, it is a gimmick, but the idea that like it's about these people who are obsessed with the Beatles, but the Beatles, other than like really bad voice things or like <laughs> their feet are not in the movie, you know, like it's, I mean, it's not that it's them at all, but the idea that they're not even really represented a lot of the yeah. times. You mm-hmm. just sort of see, I think that's great. I, that aspect of it I thought was really charming and really like fun. And, and, and while I don't find the Beatles fascinating, and when you guys say they're fascinating, I think you're fucking crazy. <laughs> I do. I do think the phenomena of the obsession, the, the the way that kids lost their shit, that's fascinating to me, and that is more what the movie is about than these, you know, four boys from Liverpool. It's that's more part about of it, though. The lads, Liam, get it right. <laughs> yeah, it's part of it, but it's like not as interesting to me as the kids losing their shit. <laughs> I will say more that of the focus. One sure. of the things that this movie captures that a lot of Beatles material doesn't and that that maybe people would really project on Elvis stuff instead is that people were horny for the fucking Beatles. Right? Very fucking like, horny. And Nancy Allen's character in this movie, I mean she oh, yeah. orgasms from the fucking Beatles. Right? I mean she she humps his fucking uh bass guitar. I mean this this is a woman who was basically it basically it destroys her relationship because she is too horny about the Beatles. Yeah. And I think that, that that is a that's an edge that you were talking about that you're yeah. right. A lot of movies maybe wouldn't go into that uh, into that material, but it's one of the things I like most about this movie. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's fun. I the the kid the kid who doesn't want to cut his hair. Uh, I love that angle. Uh, the 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 shittiness of his dad and how how much of the hatred for the Beatles was based on like patriarchal bullshit, especially mm-hmm. because in the realm of rockers, right? I really do believe that the Beatles like could get into a fight. You know what I mean? Like this idea that because they had moppy hair, they were somehow threatening masculinity or something. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> there's something about that that I think is so silly and weird, considering the type of dudes they were. That I was like, I, I think all that is interesting in the movie and uh, and yeah, overall it's a 
it's this is my opinion. It's dumb. It's a dumb movie, but it's dumb in a way that I I found entertaining and I liked. I just wish if I was going to change anything, it wouldn't be to not have it be about the Beatles. That's great. It would be. I just don't know that all the humor works for me, but that's just part of the time. There. Are... G- give me an example of something that didn't work for you in terms of the humor. Oh, well, this will be easy. Doug, what's your favorite joke in the movie? <laughs> oh, uh, well, honestly. <laughs> I mean, it's situational as opposed to just lines, right? Which is why mm-hmm. I don't really think of it as screwball, which is very much like back and forth type dialogue. To me, it's like there are funny parts of the movie. I like. Uh, yeah, no, no, I, like... I get it. You're using screwball as a genre. All I mean is, there's a certain kind of uh, comedy that when I watch it, I know it's for adults because they occasionally talk about sex stuff vaguely, but it feels like it's for children. Nothing about it is. It doesn't feel like the jokes were thought through very hard, though. Occasionally, I do like puns. I'm not above puns. That's not you know. Let's not. I'm not a heartless monster over here. But some of the silliness of it just doesn't work for me. Like like. Right. I, at least I don't find it that funny. The way that people seem to be like, oh, it's the funniest fucking shit. And again, I I bet there are people who would think that this movie is, who like this movie, who don't think of it as one of the funnier movies of the of the time period but i would actually prefer this to some of the things that we've watched previously but yeah, sorry i, mean, I cut you off doug i'm sorry about that what were you, no, you were gonna no, say no, one not, of the parts you thought was really funny no i mean again it, it is situational i just like the the character aspects like the obsession with trying to get the tickets by answering the the calls on the on the radio mm. and all the murray the k stuff and i mean i find a lot of it kind of I think it's, I wouldn't say hilarious. I would say it's more delightful. It's a delightful movie for me because of these characters. And because, again, I can kind of not relate to the obsession and the Beatlemania type aspect, but just because I know a little bit about this time of of, of history. And it could really be, again, it could be any situation that they're trying to get to. It could be any event that they're trying to attend. And it would still be interesting. It just happens to play into this big cultural moment. I think that's actually helpful for me, Doug, because I want to, you know, hone in on that with Rosie, which is, uh, what's her name? Wendy Jo. Mm. uh, Sperber, yeah. Sperber. Um, I didn't actually find a lot of her stuff that funny, except for when she jumped out of the car. That shit actually killed me. Like, that looked dangerous. That's an amazing gag. Yeah. (laughs) That was great. That was great. But some of the other stuff with her, I just was, like, less interested in, you know, and... Just it didn't. Again, I'm not saying it sucked, but it, I wouldn't be like, "Oh, that's so funny." And I gotta yeah. be honest, and this is again something people will be bummed about. Uh, I've never been a big Eddie Deason fan. All right, okay, you got to hold off on Eddie Deason. <laughs> We're gonna talk about Eddie Deason in I'm just, just a not second. a big fan. It's perfectly fine not to be a fan of Eddie Deason, but we got to hold off because Luke needs to tell me a little bit about. Look, we're we're all I think of generally the same age, mm-hmm. so the idea of a movie like this which is obsessed with this period in the early 60s, which would then, you know, a couple of years later, a few years later at this point, be followed up with Back to the Future, which is obsessed with the mid-50s. Mm-hmm. And the fact that around this period of the mid to late 70s, there was this all of this nostalgia with Greece and Happy Days and American Graffiti, all this 1950s and early 60s nostalgia. It's something that even though I have a fascination with the Beatles, I don't necessarily relate to. When you watch a movie like this, Luke, mm. is that something that, you know, you can feel? Because we, I don't know what kind of nostalgia we all have, feel if it's for the 90s. For me, my nostalgia is kind of any period before, like, <laughs> 10 years ago, I suppose. <laughs> where it just, my life just seemed more simple. But, mm-hmm. like, like, how do you feel about this kind of boomer nostalgia type movies? Is this something that you can relate to at all? Um I, I, I think Zemeckis does it better than anyone. Like, it, it I think mm. it's part of his 
talent is that he makes me care about it. Like I, I, uh, I'm not inherently interested in it. And, uh, but, but it is, yeah, I, I, I think he does it well. And I mean, uh, sort of related to this, but then sort of tied to what you were just saying, Liam, like for me, the, the, the best stuff in the movie is the stuff with Deason and, uh, Wendy Jo Sperber, because I think that, ages really well to me because it is this a a portrait of a type of sort of quite ugly obsessive fandom that i think is uh extremely relevant uh today and mm, uh and i fair. think and i like how unafraid the movie is to show that like how like unsettling and creepy it is and it's like i i think you mean eddie decent pulling up the carpets in the yeah. hotel <laughs> like he is unlikable and i think it's great like i love how unlikable it is and i love how i think wendy joe sperber is incredibly charming and funny in it but she's psychotic like she is like it, you, you yeah. wouldn't want to be around those people but she really like i i i love how uh, hard it goes on that stuff. And I think that stuff ages very, very well. And that stuff, I think, makes it very relatable. Um, and sort of similarly in, in Back to the Future, again, I just think Zemeckis is good at capturing genuine excitement and awe at things. And uh, that makes you go along with whatever he decides to make his characters in awe about. Uh, this is a slightly off topic, Luke, but it's something I probably should have asked you earlier. When you're making a movie that involves time travel in any mm. kind of way, it lives in the shadow of Back to the Future. Oh, How yeah. careful do you have to be that you're not constantly reminding people of that movie? Because that's that's not that your movie you know doesn't live up to it or anything like that, but it, you know you're talking about. The audiences are so different, right? I mean, mm -hmm. how how careful do you have to be about something like that? Um, I mean, I think you just have to not be boring. Like, I I, I think you you can yeah. get really tripped up being obsessed with that. I mean, like, I I for I tried several times for sort of comedic purposes to specifically do the opposite of the thing that I thought was most common <laughs> um, and uh, uh, sort of the, the dumbest version of that maybe is that like uh, uh, in Terminator only organic matter can go through so they show up <laughs> naked and in mine like literally organic matter can't go through so you have to go through in a suit where you have no breathing holes and freak out when you arrive to like things like that where I, I tried to throw little twists in it but like mostly it's just like uh I knew what the film was about thematically, so I mostly sort of made the time travel stuff work towards that and didn't worry about a lot else. I, although there was also, like, Back to the Future 2, we talked about that movie being so important to me, like, being a kid and watching Marty watch himself in the last movie, like, blew my mind as a, like, 10-year-old. Mm -hmm. And so, like, there's there's a... There's a specific reference to that in the film, which I like will very openly admit is just like me referencing Back to the Future too, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> I, I also loved in the movie the dismissal of multiverses, which became so timely since the yeah. movie came out <laughs> that that ended up in the trailer as well. But I mean, again, it's sometimes you just you, there was a lot of of I, I'm, I'm sure as as screwed as you got by the pandemic, there are some timeliness aspects of it that really, I think, worked in your favor. Very much so. I, I really feel that making a lower budget film, probably making a film 
in any capacity, but certainly making a, a an indie film uh, is is a real roller coaster of like the worst luck ever and like God given good luck that you can't believe <laughs> happened, and it just swings wildly between those two things. Liam, I have to guess that you hate boomers. Is this correct? <laughs> I had no comment. <laughs> okay. I don't want you to incriminate yourself in any way. But like, is that an aspect of when you were talking about the kind of of comedies that were coming out in the late 70s, they did tend to look back a lot. You know, it's one of the interesting things about Back to the Future is you get to both, I love the 50s, I'm going back to it, and I'm also going to improve my future by doing things in the 50s and, um, and it, you know, and kind of celebrating the 1980s at the same time. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the most beloved era for a lot of people. What do you think about this, this kind of, of boomer nostalgia movies from that time period? I mean, it's, it is overwhelming, and I... I don't know that I have a, a ton of examples of individual movies where I'm like, this movie sucks because it's just boomer nostalgia. <laughs> but when I think about it, 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 when I think about the movies that were about the past that defined sort of the movies that I saw a lot as a kid, they were all the 50s and 60s, right? Like I don't, I don't remember there being a lot of movies about the 40s, right? Mm. Uh, not that I, not that we're like very popular, and I don't remember being connected to a movie about the seventies until um, Days and Confused came out. Mm. Like I feel like yeah. Days and Confused came out, and I was like, "Oh, the seventies!" Like that was like my first. And like, of course, I, that movie was marketed as like the American Graffiti of the nineties, right? Yeah, I mean, specifically right. for that, right. yeah, yeah, right. And 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 I'm not saying there weren't movies about the seventies before. I'm just saying a movie that really caught my attention. I think a lot of people's attention that was not just about the sixties. Like everything felt like the sixties. And and in fact, I remember talking to people, you know, later in life who. Were, because they just thought of movies, they kind of poured all the events that were important into the 60s, like everything happened in the 60s. And I was like, no, some of those things were in the 70s. That, that, no, that's, that, that actually happened in the 70s, like historically speaking. But it's just we, we got this idea that like and, – and not even like understanding the way that the, the 60s as an idea, that there were huge cultural shifts between the beginning of the decade and the later part of the decade, which also happens, right? Like when you when people talk about the 80s, a lot of times they just want to talk about the later kind of like uh, neon 80s, right? right. Mm -hmm. And no one wants yeah. to talk about the hangover of the 70s that the first few years of the 80s were, you know what I mean? And so like I, I just think like this idea that um, – of what the 60s were, were defined by a lot of these movies that mm. were being nostalgic for something that really wasn't that long ago, considering, yeah. you know right, what I mean? Of course. And Definitely. that's the part that feels kind of psychotic to me is like, well, obviously you guys didn't really change the whole world back then because it's really not that <laughs> different right now. But I get yeah. that a lot of important stuff did happen. So I want to know about it. Like, I, I don't want to be resentful to movies about the past. But yeah, at a certain point, it's like, how many movies are we going to make about the same 10 years yeah. covering oftentimes the same fucking events over and over again? It's also interesting to think that this movie came out in 1978. Two years later, John Lennon would be shot dead, right? You probably mm. couldn't make this movie, at least you know, for a while after that, something with this kind of level of nostalgia. It kind of put a big kind of exclamation point. On a so, sort of it, you know, kind of the 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 uh, gimme shelter to the Woodstock uh, um, uh, kind of uh, mythologizing of the 1960s period. Uh, let's talk about these performances a little bit. We're going to talk about Eddie, Eddie Deason himself in just a little bit. We've talked about it actually already to a great extent. Just sticking with you just for a second, Liam. Any of the other performers stick out at you? P uh, people that you thought were uh, particularly impressive? 
Hmm. What do you think about Ed Sullivan, huh? What? Are, what are, <laughs> how the fuck did that guy become like? It's funny people talk about with such reverence about like a Johnny Carson, right, or David Letterman, but it's like Ed, Ed Sullivan was the guy of that era, and you see him, you see the video of him, and he's like. He's the most boring, yeah. disinterested fucking guy. Yeah. What is it about him? Anyway, Liam, I, I'm jumping on you a little bit. Who who, who stuck out to you? Uh, well, of course, I mean, we, you're going to want to mention Nancy Allen just because also knowing her from other things. Yeah, sure. But I, I kind of like, even though it's a very goofy character in a lot of ways, I did like uh, Bobby... To Chico, I guess, as uh, Tony Smirko. That's the angry, yeah. that's the angry leather jacket guy, right? <laughs> the greaser type guy. Yeah, it's yeah. stupid. It's really stupid. Like it's like not. It doesn't make sense in some ways, and yet I kind of liked it. it. There was something about it that I found fun. So I'm, I'm going to mention that. I feel like also uh, uh, Mark McClure as as Larry. Uh, there were some of the jokes around Larry were a bit goofy, and I didn't really like them. But just that character who's kind of just going along with everything because of his crush. I, I, there's something about that I kind of liked. So, you know, that's fine. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, all, all of our all of our um, female leads were, were fun, I guess. But I, I don't know. No, nothing really, like, hit <laughs> me too hard that I was like, oh, yeah, these guys are killing it. And the only thing that really stuck with me is more of a negative thing. Which is, of course, uh, uh, that Eddie Deason sucks. Okay, okay. I did like that <laughs> the Teresa Saldana character, Grace Corrigan. That Grace, the part where she is willing to literally prostitute herself, or at least be in the guise <laughs> she's thinking of prostitute. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's thinking about it. Certainly considering it just to get the money, because she, I mean, she's just thinking of all the good stuff. That whole sequence is weird, but it has that edge that you were talking about mm -hmm. earlier. How about you, Luke? Outside of Eddie Deason, who mm -hmm. we all. Every one of us We're loves. all pulling for you, yeah, Eddie, yeah. except when... <laughs> who's never done he's anything had, wrong. He's had, an yeah. inter <laughs> he's had an interesting last few years, let's say. Um, who, anyone uh, stick out for you? Um, yeah, I, I mentioned Wendy Jo Sperber. Uh, and again, I, yeah. I also want to uh, just shout out Nancy Allen, specifically the scene that we referenced earlier, too. Like, that scene where she, like, <laughs> orgasms over the bass guitar. That could be That's a so terrible good. scene. Like, that could not... Like, Absolutely. That is, her ability to sell that is amazing. Like she really deserves a lot of credit for that, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, other than that, I think we've basically covered it. Is it, uh, <laughs> is it Susan Kendall Newman who plays the, the girl who hates the Beatles at first and then grows to respect? Yes, them? I believe so. That's right. Janice. Yeah. That's right. I liked her too. I thought she was good. I think that I like the, the role that that character, like th that character of sort of someone being like not wrong, but too strident about it. Uh, uh, and sort of being someone who once hated stuff more than they should have. And then you get older and you realize you're like, Oh, this stuff's probably fine. I was too hard on it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, exactly. I, I like, I like that arc and I think she portrayed it. Well, I liked her. I thought she was good. So let's talk about Eddie Deason, uh, who does not show up into this movie until probably like 45 minutes in. And he does make a big impression. For listeners who might not know him offhand, you would probably know his voice and you definitely would know him to recognize him. Uh, you know, a, a memorable presence in Greece and War Games. His voice, of course, is in the Polar Express as well. But a lot of 80s comedies he shows up in as the stereotypical nerd. Um He's had some difficulties uh, with the law the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, for anyone who's on social media, especially Facebook, you can 
Eddie Deason at one point was someone who would just friend you and then wish you happy birthday every year, and you would see a lot of updates. And he's doing that stuff again. Uh, he, he's a an interesting character, let's say. Uh, Liam, you found him in this movie to be irritating. Do you find him generally irritating in films? Most of the time, yes. Because of the voice or because of the... I mean, he's, as Luke quite rightly uh, brought up, he is playing a uh, intentionally very irritating and annoying character in this. Sure, and and I think that's supposed to be the... the hu- I just didn't find it that character particularly funny, though I think Luke's insight about how it does give an opportunity to show kind of the gross side of fandom. I do like that, and I think maybe if it, that was less of a gag, I might mm. be more into it, but I don't... No, I, I, I'm not going to say that Eddie Deason could never be funny because I feel like he had a couple roles that maybe I didn't hate. It's not like every time he shows up, I'm like, oh, this motherfucker. And I'll be honest, Doug, I didn't know anything about what he's doing. I didn't know he had any legal trouble. I don't know anything about him. So I'm not, uh, I don't want to get into it too much, but what happened was he was harassing a waitress and then he got oh, arrested. Wow. He had a big public freakout. He actually ended up in quote unquote jail, but really I think in psychiatric care for a while. And then he got out of that. I think he's currently living with his manager. You know, he was obviously a working professional actor for a very long time, but that might be explained why you haven't seen him in, in quite a while, even outside of, of voice roles. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he, he seems like he seems like things are on the right track for him. The other thing that's interesting about him is that he, the guy loves the Beatles. He's obsessed with it in real life. Right, he isn't right. that far away from the character in this movie. Right. Mm. Well, and I, I just think that like he, he, when the deployment of him in a movie is the loudest, most ridiculous thing, <laughs> I tend to not like it. I don't know that I hate it in every single movie because there was a point where I feel like he was in a million fucking movies. I feel like I saw him in so many goddamn things. Sure. And I'm like, I bet you there's things that I don't hate him in. But in this movie, it, it didn't ruin the movie for me. Like I said, I was surprised that I enjoyed this movie as much as I did, but I just felt like there wasn't a lot he was doing comedically that really worked for me, and it was more irritating than funny. But it, but it wasn't like, oh, this is the worst fucking thing in the world. I hate this sure. movie. It was just like, oh, this guy. I'm kind of over this guy at this point. Yeah. Well, let's get a counterpoint uh, on this. Uh, Luke, what did you think of Eddie Deason in this movie? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's great, but I also don't necessarily disagree with anything you're saying. Like, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> he, he is. Like, I, I, for me, it works how, how obnoxious he is. And I, I really like, I think he's great. To me, this is the role for him. Like, the, I, I don't know if I, love him in anything else really like i i think you're right that he <laughs> he became kind of a stock uh uh thing he he did that thing and this to me feels like the most sort of acerbic version acerbic and interesting version of that character uh that he did in a bunch of movies and i mean I, i'm literally looking up his imdb now and he clearly he did voice work in a lot of <laughs> cartoons that i loved so like i think i probably loved a lot of those roles that he did but like uh sure um outside of that like this this is this is the decent role i think yeah no you're exactly right they also give him a surprisingly large amount to do mm-hmm. in this he's very much a wild card right then that's what yeah. maybe the thing that i like most about him is that he's showing up to cause chaos and he's this kind of chaos agent but he's also so unlikable yeah. um and he's the only one who doesn't really find any success in the movie at the end to one extent or another. He's just kind of 
a gross dude. You know, the fact that she uh, briefly, Wendy Jo Sperber's, Sperber's character, uh, briefly, you know, considers him her boyfriend. You know, that kind of naivete is kind of, you know, I think charming and fun. It also covers up a little bit the fact that most of the actresses in this who are playing high school students are like 23, 24 <laughs> years old. Yeah. <laughs> That's also a uh, an era-defining aspect oh, yeah. uh, as well. Uh, let's talk about Dick Miller. Uh, he is the star of I Want to Hold Your Hand from 1978, mm-hmm. starring Sergeant Bresner. So Sergeant Bresner is, uh, so for, for I'm sure anyone would be aware, when the Beatles came to the United States, they were mobbed wherever they went. Beatlemania was running wild. So uh, there are a lot of police officers in this movie um, who are, of course, unpleasant because they're police officers. But one of them is working in the hotel trying to keep any youngsters from getting any access to the Beatles. Basically, the person who's heading off that group of cops is uh, Sergeant Bresner, played by Dick Miller. He gets uh, he gets a little bit of screen time, right? He shows up. He keeps trying to showing up. He gets a nice moment with a lamp that we yeah. talk about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sticking with you, uh, Luke, uh, what did you think of Dick Miller in this movie? Uh, yeah, he's great. He's good. Like, uh, uh, <laughs> if we weren't doing a podcast about him, I don't know if he would have stuck out uh, that much, but, but he's solid. He's good. He... he Gets to do some physical gags. Uh, yeah, no. Solid. Good. That that part where he is talking about how much he loves that lamp right before the lamp gets smashed. Is good like this, I mean, that is kind of screwballing. That's a good gag. And that yeah. is something. Liam, you asked me what my favorite com- comedic moment is. There it is. It's the smashed lamp and him holding up the remnants of it. So sad. <laughs> Liam, what did you think of Dick Miller in this movie? I mean, that lamp gag sucks. But <laughs> I... I, I I like I like Dick Miller. I wish this is not you know, we've talked about it that there are so many movies where Dick Miller shows up for the briefest of moments, but he's given enough to do that you remember him. Even if you don't know who he is, you'll be like, Oh yeah, that one guy, right? Like mm-hmm. he'll stick out. This is not one of those movies. He no. is though I think he's fine in what he he's doing, he's not given enough to do that someone would be like, Oh yeah, the guy from gremlins isn't he in i want to hold your hand no you wouldn't (laughs) yeah i don't know that he if you didn't know who he was i don't think he would stick out and that has nothing to do with his performance he's just not given a ton to do here except for apparently holding a broken lamp which just made doug shit himself (laughs) (laughs) he uh, was talking about how great the lamp was that was those three lighting settings he was just he was on the phone Even in his most, my thing with with Dick Miller is that even in his most obvious roles, he brings something to it, but you got to give him a little breathing room. And I don't think that's what this character is. Mm. He just runs around a little bit and he's got a couple of lines here and there. Just nothing that really sticks out. And that's fine. I don't know that the movie would have, he's not essential to the movie. This isn't uh, After Hours where in theory that's a small role, but it's a it he shines he stands out it's mm-hmm. he is he's given room to really make an impression or even the bookstore owner in the howling, the howling right? right he course. stands out he's there mm, yeah. and there are other things that we've talked about where he is only briefly on screen but you could you would not be surprised if someone remembered him again it's fine the movie doesn't need him and in after hours he he does that and it moves the plot along it's part of the movie it's part mm. of the fabric of the movie anyone who 
could play a security guard could be this security guard. He's not given enough to do that it had to be Dick Miller, but he's good at it. He's certainly solid, yeah. and he is more memorable than some of the other security guards, I guess. So that's something, you know. <laughs> though I will remember the cop who takes the bribe because that guy <laughs> <laughs> that was that was very well done. As like, oh, this guy sucks. All right, I'm with you. Uh, I will say. You know, we've talked a little bit on this podcast specifically about the appearance of Dick Miller being sort of like a secret handshake with certain members of the audience. Sure. Mm. And I don't know if him appearing in this is a secret handshake, which is odd because in like the same year that this movie came out, Rock and Roll High School came out, which has Dick Miller playing mm. a very similar role, police officer who shows up for a brief amount of time. And in that movie, he absolutely is a secret handshake because, you know, it's got the Corman stuff. It's got Alan Arkish and Joe Dante involved. It has, You know, it's all connected to stuff that he'd worked on previously. But Robert Zemeckis, as far as I know, does not have a connection to the Roger Corman, you know, school and things like that. Um, and so I don't know if Dick Miller is here as an actor, Dick Miller, or as a secret handshake. And I don't think, because of what you were saying, he doesn't get that moment that makes me think that maybe it's meant to wink a little bit to the audience about, hey, look, Dick Miller's here. And and maybe he's just performing, and that's okay, too. That said, you also have to take into account that uh, many years later, that Robert Zemeckis would produce the first Tales from the Crypt movie, Demon Knight, which also has Dick Miller. So uh, maybe he was well aware of what it meant to have Dick Miller show up in this movie. Hard to say. I think he does a fine job in a fairly thankless role, but still memorable, still playing the Dick Miller that we know and love in it. And uh, I was so glad to get to watch this movie because of our guests today. Luke, thank <laughs> you so much for coming on. We're recording this on a Saturday night. I know it's not the most convenient night for anyone to be taking time to be talking about Dick Miller and Beatles-themed comedies from the late 70s, <laughs> but I cannot tell you how, how much of a joy it was to talk to you how much I've been looking forward to this and how le legitimately and sincerely I am a fan, both of you and of your film, Relax I'm From the Future. For people who do want to check it out, I know it's still, you know, kind of touring around a little bit. Uh, where can people find more information about you and where can they find information about the movie? Uh, th yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been a, a, a blast. I, I've, I've, I've was very excited to be to be uh, invited on. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I think it's out of theaters now. But uh, it's coming out on VOD for digital purchase and rental on November 28th. So uh, check it out. Buy it. Rent it. No, buy it. Buy it. Don't rent it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Buy yeah. It. Buy it for your... It makes a great stocking stuffer. Mm. Um, and even if it's just a digital download code, that the people, kids love that shit. They fucking... They are crazy for it. So They're nuts for it. Um, but uh, yeah. And the more of that, maybe... Uh, what do you think, uh, Luke? Maybe a physical version? I, I'm I'm pushing really hard for it. It's it's uh, it's certainly not a given uh, these days for for smaller movies. Sure. But I'm uh, I'm I'm gonna look into every possible avenue to make that happen because I uh, I am uh, yeah. I'm a physical media guy and I would very much like to have a copy yeah. of my movie. And if you're a listener right now, the best way to make that happen is to tell people how much you love. Uh, relaxing from the future and why don't you leave it great reviews on Letterboxd because it's so good because you love it and why don't you get your digital copy as soon as it's available say that date again that it's going to be available Luke. November 28th circle it on your calendars you goddamn reprobate sorry that's a horrible <laughs> thing to say to people listening to our podcast <laughs> you wonderful people now please, please I like uh, you I like you all one. yeah <laughs> 
Luke likes you. I'm feeling a little mixed. <laughs> Liam, for uh, for people who love wonderful podcasts and wonderful writing, they can check that out over at cinepunks.com, which you can also find the latest episodes of Cinema Smorgasbord. That's where you are usually centered, Liam. Where can people find you and all the great work that you do? Well, I mean, you just said Cinepunks. Yeah, I did. Sorry, I kind of jumped all over you. That's the best. There. That's the best place. Now, Cinepunks is on social media as well. We are on Instagram, Facebook, uh, whatever the fuck Twitter's called now, and Blue Sky Cinepunks. Uh, I'll tell you what, guys. I'm I'm not interested in Twitter, but uh, a good friend Kay still runs the Twitter. They let me know that people are tweeting at us. Sorry, I just don't. I can't get back. I can't go back there. I'm not. I'm not. I'm done. <laughs> I'm over it. I'm not on Twitter anymore. Uh, however, uh, Cinepunks is still there. But uh, you know, we're also on Instagram and Facebook if you prefer. And we're on Blue Sky. I promise. I will start updating our Blue Sky. That's all on me. <laughs> that's got to be. That's my responsibility. I made it. I got to do it. And I haven't been doing it. And I apologize for that. As far as me personally, Doug. You know, it's not worth it. Don't find me. You don't need to follow me. It's not a thing. But if they want to dive into the archive of Cinema Sport, they should head to cinemasmorgasport.com, uh, where not only can you find all of our old episodes, they're broken up by topic. Maybe you're only into Dick Miller. Well, you can find all the Dick Miller episodes. Maybe you're only into Jodowowski. You can find all those. Maybe you're only into the episodes that I'm not on. Well, fuck you. I'm on all of the episodes. So there you go. <laughs> No, no good for you there. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're exactly right, Liam. You can find the entire You Don't Know Dick archive over at cinemasmokersboard.com, as well as podcasts devoted to such diverse topics as some of the ones that you mentioned, but including the career of Jackie Chan and Carol Kane, George Kennedy, uh, Oliver Reed. Further reading is over there. It's all over at cinemasmokersboard.com or on Twitter at cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G, which, yeah, I'm occasionally still on there, but I'm also on Blue Sky. You can just look up Doug Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. But for now... We all need to take a break. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run off and watch uh, Relaxing from the Future again, uh, ah. just as well as the listeners of this uh, podcast should do as soon as it hits November 28th. Uh, and I'll remind you on all of my media. And if you tell me that you are not purchasing it for yourself or for a friend, I'm going to give you a wag of the finger. So uh, <laughs> do not uh, do not draw my ire. <laughs> but for now, we need to take a little break. We're going to be back very soon with another Dick Miller classic. Good night, Two, everyone. Three, four. I'm not the kind of guy who likes to play Big Brother But I've just seen your date outside